What's up, everyone? This is episode 221 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, it should be no surprise that the news to lead off this week's show is Fanatics' acquisition of PWCC. And I've talked a little bit about PWCC lately, but that was more so to give you a glimpse at the people running the company and uh, the way they were trying to change the hobby narrative moving forward. I didn't really go into their business model during the whole card boom and all the decisions that ultimately culminated in this sale. So I do want to cover that for you real quick. The best summary I've found so far came from an Instagram poster named Ephus Pitch. I'm going to read one of his story posts for you real quick. He said, quote, Number one, rapidly declining auction results. Number two, credit calls, frozen credit. Number three, marketing layoffs. Number four, back office layoffs. Number five, run on the vault dynamics. And then he follows that up by saying, quote, This was most certainly a rescue sale. And Ruben and co. deserve a lot of credit for waiting in the wings for the right timing. Fanatics is quickly becoming the J.P. Morgan of the collectibles world. This was a great pickup for them, in my honest opinion. Now, I think business-wise, he's right about it being a great pickup by Fanatics. You know, who knows what the final purchase price was, but everyone seems to be under the impression that they got a really good deal. And I've said many times before, though, I'm not in the business of making speculative content, so for everyone that wants to know exactly what this means for the future of the hobby, I have no clue. And I wouldn't feel good about myself if I sat here for 5 or 10 minutes and tried to convince you otherwise. That's a waste of both my time and yours. However, I will say, this acquisition, and more so the series of acquisitions in the bigger picture, those concern me some. Uh, I think uh, a user on Instagram named Signed and Slabbed summed it up best in one of his Instagram stories when he wrote, Fanatics is ultimately after consumers, not collectors. They're going to tolerate collectors. Um, I've talked a lot on this show about how in the early days of the Panini license, they really went out of their way to court collectors. I've expressed the fact that I hope Fanatics does the same And as usual, I'm going to wrap these thoughts up by saying just this. I guess only time will tell. There's really no way for us to know. Okay, another thing from this week that I want to cover here. uh, This was originally what I was going to open with, but it revolves around the new Flawless release that I talked about a week or two ago. Obviously, since then, more of the product has been ripped. Now, I don't participate in that. I don't have the budget or the nerves to open high-end boxes, but I do enjoy tuning into a break every now and then to see some of the stuff that's inside and also to, you know, get a leg up on some of the stuff that I might be pursuing on the secondary market. And believe it or not, I've seen a surprising amount of complaints from people about the amount of Logo Man patches in the product. Let me say that again. People are complaining that there are too many Logo Man patches in this product. And in their defense, I think part of it has to do with the fact that people uh, are still upset about the release date, which yes, it is absurd to have a 2021 product come out during the 2023 conference finals, but it is what it is. Now, maybe they're also upset that it could devalue some of the previous Logo Man patches they own. If that's the case, I can see that side of it too. But you know what? That was bound to happen. 
And quite frankly, it's not going to get any better because I can tell you from looking at the stuff that's already been pulled, we are likely in the early stages of Panini's relic liquidation. And I've said this before with National Treasures, they did some retro sets. But here in this flawless release, I saw a Curry logo man that was stitched instead of plastic, which there's nothing wrong with that, but we haven't had those stitched logo man patches for years. So I expect more of that stuff to come too. Now, I'm just wondering, is this going to be a gradual but steady purge? Or are we also going to get a big logo man dump at the end? Maybe like we did with Upper Deck in 2009-2010 products. And I can tell you, you, you know, you can go look on eBay or, or maybe it's ended by now, but... This past week, there was a Chauncey Billups logo man on there that was numbered to 16 from 2009. Now, either way, I'm in the camp of, you know, if they have this stuff on hand already, they might as well release it. And if there are a bunch of premium pieces that hit the secondary market because of it, so what? You know, that's better for the collector, right? We should be celebrating. Speaking of logo man patches, I got a lot of feedback about my hideous Jambalaya logo man mashup I talked about in last week's main segment. I mentioned the possibility of separating those pieces and doing something more fun with them. You guys seem strongly in favor of that as well. So as some of you saw on social media, I dismantled the whole thing. And now I haven't announced this yet, but I'm excited to announce that I will be sending the Allen Iverson logo man piece to reclaim customs this week. And he's going to do his magic and turn it into something a lot nicer. And then on top of that, I also had the wild idea to get this thing signed. I don't think I've mentioned that before because from what I can see, Allen Iverson's going to be at the National. I'm going to be at the National. It only makes sense. So be on the watch for any and all progress on that project. I will do the best I can to document everything along the way. And most importantly, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. As for the rest of today's episode, I have a really fun conversation with Jason a Miami Heat collector that posts under the handle at mheatcards. Now, that conversation took place after Game 2, which uh, Jason was on cloud nine then. Needless to say, he is even more so now, although to his credit, he played it pretty cool. Um, but I do want you to hear that. I'm excited for that. So I'll play that for you in today's main segment. You'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 31 million trading cards, from baseball's biggest stars like Shohei Otani, Aaron Judge, and Mookie Betts, to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man, Thor, and Captain America. ComC has something for every type of collector. Visit ComC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. Additionally, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way would be my eBay affiliate link, and then now also my Amazon affiliate link, which is on the same website. And using these links costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access these links, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the corresponding logos, shop as planned, so whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. 
Okay, so joining me today is someone that is in the handful of people I chat with the most on Instagram right now. And no, he's not a Pacers collector, but he is a team collector, as suggested by his handle, at Cards. He's also a big patch collector and patch enthusiast. And I would say he does a great job trying to combat all of the relic misinformation that's out there right now, oftentimes to no avail. We'll definitely touch on that later on. Jason, I hope I didn't miss anything there in the intro. How's it going? It's going great, Kyle. Appreciate you having me on the pod. I've been a listener for a long time. Well, and you were part of the, the Collector Classifieds as well. So uh, I feel that was your introduction. And now we'll get to know a little bit more about you today. So I'm excited about that. I mentioned your Instagram profile there in the intro, which obviously discloses the fact that you are a big Miami Heat fan. So we might as well start there. And as much as we've messaged back and forth, I've never had a chance to really ask you about your Heat fandom. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit more about how it started, how it grew, and what exactly it looks like now. So I'm going to make you and probably some of the audience feel a little old here, but I was eight when LeBron joined the Heat. So oh, wow. that's, when I was, right. <laughs> yeah, that's when I was getting into basketball. And obviously, as a kid, you want to be rooting for the most exciting team, usually the winning team. So that is how I became a Heat fan, hopped on the bandwagon. After LeBron left, I kind of kept going with the Heat. And I ended up being more of a fan of Wade and Bosch, actually, from the big three. So I kept rooting for them. And then just kept going on from there. Yeah, because I, I was really wondering about that because I, I know you're not in Florida yeah. um, because I, I really expected that considering how closely you follow the Heat and because you did something like you mentioned, you stayed with the team even after LeBron left. I knew you took your love of this franchise seriously because I'd message you throughout the season and you'd be watching their games and look, this roster was just brutal to watch. I hated watching the Heat this year. And I try to watch all different teams. I even drove to Miami. It was like four hours, right? To watch this horrible roster play against my horrible roster. Yeah. But there were guys that I didn't even know. And I feel like I watch a lot of basketball. Now, at the same time, though, that roster, plus I think maybe Cody Zeller since then, uh, this roster is up two to nothing on the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. I will preface this, you know, obviously we're recording this early on Sunday, so do not hold Jason accountable for anything that happens after that. Let him be excited in the moment here. But what do you make of this improbable run or, or do you even classify it as such? Yeah, so I just want to say that game that Kyle was referencing, Tyrese Halliburton hit a last second game winning three, I believe, right? Yes, yes. So ten, that, his that was, tenth three of the game. That was miserable for me. So I just wanted to preference that. So this heat season was not an enjoyable watch at all. And I know, especially after we lost the first play in game, a lot of fans were actually wanting the heat to just throw the second game and just get the higher pick. So we didn't have to watch the um, Giannis sweeping us. So it has just been a very incredible run by the heat in the playoffs it's improbable surprising like even the biggest diehard fans i know did not even imagine this coming so it's just been trying to enjoy the moment especially just to what this team has been able to accomplish the celtic series especially a lot of people did not think that we'd have a chance so being up 2-0 is just incredible two wins away from the finals and uh i don't want to jinx it here and I know by the time this airs, there will be a, a couple more games will have been played. So I, I might, at the risk of me sounding like an idiot, right? Because I don't want it to put you in that position. 
I cannot see the Celtics winning four out of the next five games. I just can't see it. Yeah, so I knew going into this, I did not want to act too confident just in case because there is still games to play. (laughs) There's definitely still games to play, but I will say that Jimmy Butler is the best player in that series. Jason Tatum does not have the will to win at the level of Jimmy Butler, and I will stand by that. All right, so Celtics fans, uh, that handle is mheatcards. I'll let you guys address that. Do not direct all of that stuff to my inbox this week. You could send send all the hate my way. I do not want the hate mail. I get enough as (laughs) is. Now, regarding Jimmy, I've had the conversation with people, the whole Jimmy Butler is not a superstar thing. It's really hard for me to take that stance now. But if you watch him during the season, he's not, in my opinion. Now, maybe I'm missing out. I, I don't know. What's your impression on that? No, I agree with you 100%. I have never seen a player like Jimmy Butler that could just take it to such an extreme level in the playoffs compared to what he does in the regular season. Like he is not a bad player in the regular season by any means, right? It's just he does so much more in the playoffs, I would say. He seems passive at times in the regular season, which I know Heat fans have problems with when we're losing. But yeah, I think some of it for me is the terminology and, and the vernacular superstar because to me Mm -hmm. you know that's a very select group of people and even with the you know the couple runs in the playoffs up to this point i I just couldn't put jimmy there and people saw that as as a slight or a diss to jimmy i you know i I think he's a great player but i just didn't hold him in that regard well now it's like all right if he does this even in the playoffs enough doesn't do it during the regular season i think i have to put put him there so i have to ask you now that you got a superstar on your team and you're watching him, you know, let's say just dismantle the Bucks and, and then run through some of these other teams as well. Obviously, that's really exciting. It's exciting for me as a neutral observer. A lot of Jimmy stuff then hits the marketplace. It's going to be really tempting, I imagine, to go on a big spending spree. So what do you do? How does this affect you as a collector? So personally, I've been lucky enough where there hasn't been anything that has tempted me so far that has been listed just because I'm a bit of a picky collector, to be quite honest. But I do have friends that have um, have splurged a lot with his recent performances just in buying. To me, with like reactive buying, if you're getting something that is like, say, a patch or like a low numbered card, then there's no problems with that because it's not like they're going to be coming up too often again when he's not at the top of the, the NBA pyramid. I would just advise not getting like stuff like prism based Jimmy Butler rookie cards, stuff like that for now. I know people have have heard me talk about reactive buying before and they've kind of thought, well, you know, he's he's completely preaching against it. No, I'm perfectly fine with it as long as you know what you're doing. I just want to caution people against that. But like you said, you know, if it's something rare that wouldn't show up otherwise, then, yeah, you, you don't have a lot of options now. Or if if you just want to buy something as a memento and, and you know that the it's going to go down in value and you have no issues with that, even though you could wait the two months or whatever and buy it later on, then, then that's, you know, that's your call. It is kind of nice to have a card to look back on and say, Hey, I remember I bought this on such occasion, you know, because such and such happened. So, so I totally get that. Now I brought up collecting there, so we might as well move more into the cards. And you mentioned that you're kind of picky about what you buy. Uh, I, I figured that's something that has developed over time. So I'm excited to hear about that. Why don't you take some time to help narrate your hobby history for us? Uh, Tell us how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I'm relatively new of a basketball card collector. I really started during the 2018-19 season. 
collecting Miami Heat stuff. I collected baseball a lot as a kid. Lost interest in baseball cards over time, but 2010 um, Topps Million Card Giveaway, if you remember that, that's okay. what really got me hooked on. I, Topps was giving away those, um the vintage cards with like, they were sort of redemptions that they're put in blasters. So you'd enter them online and you'd get a random vintage card sent to you. So that's something that really got me hooked on to collecting cards in general. Wait, that's kind of interesting because, you know, I see those promos from card companies and it's hard for me to, to really feel out their effectiveness because I, I've been in this a while and it's kind of like, ah, you know, to me, it's like, ah, that's kind of cool, but I don't know if it's, it's worth all the effort they're putting into that, but it's interesting. I've never heard someone say that that's how they got hooked. So I, I love hearing that. So uh, where did it go from there? You got hooked. What else happened after that? Well, for basketball cards in general, I would say I became more of a basketball super fan. I say that loosely. Wade's last season, that's when I really started like watching every single game. And from there, I wanted to collect our up and coming players. So a lot of Justice Winslow, mm-hmm. Bam, Josh Richardson. Well, you, you went into... one for three there. I can say. <laughs> yeah, one one for three, definitely. <laughs> That's not bad, though, really. No, I dabbled into, like, the Prism, stuff like that. Eventually started getting hooked onto autos, memorabilia cards. And from there, I focused more on um, patches, mm-hmm. just because it has quickly become... Um, my favorite things to collect. Yeah, I would say for as, uh, and I mean, you've been in this a little while now, and you also had the benefit of getting in right before things just blew up, uh, which I, I've noticed that lately. I've had a handful of people on this year that kind of have that same story. They got in right before. Uh, so I don't know what brought all of these people in, but um, if, if you got in that year before things went crazy, it, it seems like it gave you more than really just one year up on people just because the learning curve and everything. Yeah, I really wish I had more knowledge going into the bubble boom, whatever you want to call it, just because um there was so much going on at that time. It was it was hard not to get caught up in just the the craziness in the card collecting in that period. Well, uh, for as few years, which you know, it's been five or six years now that you've you've really been into this, it seems like your tastes are very refined. Uh, which, you know, I mean that as a compliment, you, like you said, you're very picky, you know what you're looking for. A lot of people, it it takes, you know, a lot longer than that to develop. Some people don't really develop that at all. They still just kind of buy on an impulse. So um, I've had Alex on the show before, another Heat fan, and we've talked multiple times about PC pyramids. So I'm curious, I say your, your collection's refined, but I, we haven't really gone into the specifics here you don't have to go into a lot of detail, but what would you say your pyramid looks like today? So this was something they had to think about a lot because it's definitely not necessarily a list of my favorite players. It's more so of a what I would call like who I would drop everything else to put like a mega bid in for just because like they don't really come around. Mm-hmm. So the top of my pyramid is Norris Cole. Okay. So- I love role it. Play, role player in the big three. He's definitely not a big name and he's a big part of my collection and just a guy that you don't really see high end or just rare stuff come up around. So if there's anything big for him that is posted, I'll definitely make a big push to get in my collection. As as somebody that's got a lot of nice, really nice Roy Hibbert cards, I, I know exactly what you mean. He's not my favorite player, but it's like his stuff's right at that level where it reminds me of that era and I can get the really nice stuff as opposed to Paul George. Like, I do I want one Paul George card or like eight really nice Roy Hibbert cards? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And just with one of the reasons also why I collected Cole is just um 2012 is actually my favorite year of basketball cards because you mm-hmm. have the first years of Prism, Flawless, Immaculate. He was just in so many amazing sets. So it's like it's cheap stuff and it's also beautiful cards. So 
Yeah, that was a, a really great era for Panini, that 2012 to 2014. I know I, I talk about it a lot, but man, I wish I'd realized it in the moment. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So tier two, my pyramid is Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Okay. So Miami Heat teammates for a long time. Um, Just two, two very big figures in the Heat. And also just guys that were my favorite players. So I have them firmly in my tier two. Tier three, I have Bam Adebayo. Okay. And then um, not players, but just jumbo heat patches or logo patches in general. Okay. So Bam is my favorite current player on the heat. I've been following him for a long time and um, just definitely someone that um, I look to collect for. It's nice to have a, a current player because then you get a, a mix of some of the new stuff as well. It gives you different eras to chase. Yeah. So then... Tier four, we have um, Ronnie Cycli. Okay. Yep. Jimmy Butler, who I don't have a lot of right now, but especially after this um, playoffs, I'm going to be looking to add to. And then just um, vintage Hall of Famer patches in general. All right. So I like that little little deviation from the heat there at the end. Yeah. So you mentioned the, the relics there, right? You mentioned Hall of Fame patches and autos. I mentioned relic misinformation in your intro. When the average collector found out about the Dick Sporting Goods patches in the newer rookie stuff, and I know you and I have talked about this endless amount of times, but that really opened Pandora's box. And I've seen you try to communicate the facts on places like Blowout and Reddit. I'm cheerleading for you when that happens, right? And I have tried many times myself on a number of different platforms. At this point, when I see someone refer to the era, you know, when things were game worn, I just send you the meme from the Green Mile where he's saying, I'm uh-huh. tired, boss, right? Because <laughs> that that's, it's just, it's gotten to that point. It's like, ah, do I really want to fight this today? I feel like your last major post on Blowout sums things up pretty well. So I want to hear your spiel. It doesn't have to be that post word for word, but when misinformation rears its ugly head, how do you respond to that? You know, it's tough because obviously some people don't want to believe it because mm-hmm. I know there's a there's a very strong anti-Panini bandwagon that has been um rolling on the tracks for years. Obviously most of it is deserved, but one thing I'd like to say is like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force him to drink. So I know you especially Kyle, you have put out a ton of information that is available to people on your YouTube or blow out Instagram in general. Just like proving that these most of these patches are bought on secondary markets for um the vintage guys, and you have found these auctions, provided the pictures. I think, in my opinion, most of it is Panini's fault because they don't really give out the information that you would expect for items like this. I know Tops used to have the, if they bought it from the NBA, they would say that they've purchased it from NBA properties. Panini just chooses to say that's game used. So they don't really give the information to collectors. You kind of have to seek it out yourself, which is difficult. Yeah. And I feel like even if, you know, maybe they're afraid to put, hey, we bought this from an auction house on here because if then people start, maybe they don't want people to look into it, right? Because there's a lot of liability there. But in the same sense, it's like, all right, You buy a a game-worn jersey from Heritage that Heritage presents as game-worn. You put a picture of that on the back of your card. And if something goes wrong, is the onus on Panini or is the onus on Heritage? It's probably a little bit on both, but I think they could transfer some of that to Heritage and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. What I would like to see from fanatics in general, just because they do have more resources than Panini, is giving sort of what Tops does with like the little certificate, what would you call it, hologram that they put on the patches. Mm-hmm. Give the collectors access to seeing exactly where it comes from, game dates if they have it, stuff like that. Right. 
Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I mentioned Jersey fusion lately and I know I got a lot of flack for that, even though I hopefully people see there is a, a plan to all of what I'm doing there, but that was the one thing that Jersey fusion did really well. And just as I mentioned, you can go to their website. There's some stuff that Jersey fusion bought that I don't trust, but I can go and determine that for myself. The fact that they put it there is encouraging to me and and it it makes me respect what they're doing, even though they need some designers and, and they need to stop making hideous products, but uh, it, it makes me respect them a little bit more here. Now, we've mentioned relics, we've talked about provenance, we've talked about all this stuff here. Even though we both collect relics, there's, there's one direction you've gone with your relics that I have not gone. And um, you've really taken some of your relic cards to the next level, and that's by sending them into private signings. I've talked about this some with David, the Clyde Drexler collector. I can't do it, right? I can't bring myself to do it. I think I've gotten one yeah. David Thompson relic <laughs> signed in person just because I had it, but I'm not big on doing that. So the ones, though, that you've had signed turned out really well. What prompted you to take the plunge and, and actually send these cards in? So it's definitely a super unpopular thing. I will say that. The reason why I got my Oscar Robertson relic signed is from my research, I cannot actually find an Oscar Robertson patch or just jersey autograph that was ever produced. Mm -hmm. So that was my reason, just because I wanted a big O jersey auto. When you're doing something like that, though, you have to make sure that it will look good. It comes down to a lot of things. It's the right pen. You have to make sure the ink's right, the placement everything like that. If you're getting a patch sign that has no room for an autograph, it's just going to look bad. Mm -hmm. So you have to be really selective with what you do get signed. Yeah. And I think uh, I mentioned David, he's done a pretty good job with that. Uh, and especially those the Dream Team relics. And I've seen several people getting those signed. I think those look really, really good. Now you mentioned Oscar Roberts in there as well. There was another card, a non-relic that you sent to Oscar to get signed and it was a risky endeavor, to say the least. Tell me more about that card and, and the challenge of getting it signed and all the hoops you had to jump through. Yeah, so that was a massive struggle. So what Pal is talking about is the, the 2008 Upper Deck Black. They had the, the 50 greatest signatures. Oscar Robertson is on the checklist, but he actually never signed any of the cards. So from what I gathered myself and from the person that I got the card from before I got it signed, he actually purchased all 50 of them from Upper Deck. And he was trip feeding them on eBay, basically selling a few at a time. I purchased one of them and I really wanted to get Oscar to sign it. He has um, on his website, he offers send in. Now it's a, a lot more pricey than when I sent mine in, but I did send it in to him and I heard nothing for a few weeks. Obviously that's troubling. Then it turned to a month or two, finally got a response and they let me know they were seeking legal advice as to <laughs> if Oscar was able to sign this card because he was under contract to with Upper Deck at the time, but it obviously was never signed. So that was a concern to them. So, uh, and I don't know what kind of details you want to go into, but eventually it it did end up getting signed. So did, how did you break Oscar down here? What happened? Yeah, so I tried to bargain with them. Honestly, I, I offered if they wanted to completely like um, cross over the little upper deck guarantee on the back, they could do that. <laughs> I didn't receive response to that, but they did let me know that I would either be getting a refund or I would be getting my card in the mail in two weeks and then I did receive them. So I was very happy with that. Okay. So when they said you'd be getting your card, did they indicate it would be signed or they made it sound like it was just going to get returned? <laughs> um, They indicated that it would be signed. Yeah. They said that okay. I would either be refunded for that one and then receive my other one they sent in or that it would be signed if everything went well. I would say then it's it's a pretty safe assumption, even if somebody ponies up 
He's probably not going to sign another one of those again. I probably after all of that thought and all the trouble, they they thought, well, you know, it's in front of us here. We'll just sign it, but probably not going to happen again. Okay, as we near the end of today's conversation, uh, we've talked about a lot of, of cool cards already. I don't know if any of them are in your top three. So I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the centerpieces of your PC. I, I think I know one of them, but uh, it's it's always fun. I don't want to know ahead of time. It's always fun to find out in the process here. So talk me through your three favorite cards. Start with number three and then work your way up to number one. Yeah, so this was super difficult. And honestly, the okay. number three slot was the hardest because I, I have a very clear top two in my collection. So number three was a bit of a toss-up. I ended up going with the the 2007 Upper Deck Black Oscar Robertson. Um, okay. It's a dual patch, dual jersey, number to have 25. So I'm just a huge fan of this design in general on these cards. And also Oscar Robertson is not someone that you find prime stuff for hardly right. ever. So that was a big one in my collection. I was super glad to end up with that one. You've got several cards from that uh, that set as well, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that set. I have um, Mornin, Bosch, Shaq, Larry Bird, and a few others. Is Pat Riley in that set? You have that one? No, he is not. He's okay. in, um, That's a different card I'm thinking yeah, of that exquisite. I'm jealous of, by the way. Yeah. Um. So what about your number two? So my number two is the 2012 Immaculate Chris Bosch Laundry Tag. So... With anyone not familiar with these sets, it's um it's called Authentics, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. I think so. So these were, for the most part, full laundry tags, which we don't see now because Panini tends to cut them up. So that's into uh, a million pieces. By the way, yeah, it's like a million pieces. At, at first, it's like, all right, we're gonna cut it into two pieces. Then it's like, all right, now we're gonna cut it into four, and now it's like eight, right? And maybe yeah, even so, more than that. So now we'll see the the laundry um logo man tag cut up into two sometimes one if they want to put it on the auto but this was the full thing so like the adidas logo man everything like that the the norse cold number to have two in that set but i did not want to have both of them in my top three just because they're pretty similar cards but right okay i think i know which card is going to beat that um but yeah. I'll, I'll let you reveal it here I, there i could see why they were close so and i see why they're both in your top two what's number one so number one 2013 immaculate Dwayne wade christmas jumbo patch okay so this set is just something that i wanted to add in my collection for a long time i did not think i'll be able to find a Dwayne wade and especially at the price i got it at mm -hmm. but i was i was super happy to add it to my collection so these were from um 2013 christmas day games i believe I think so panini, mm -hmm. panini purchased a ton of them and most of them on this set were from um, the shorts. So they were the logo off the shorts. And it's got a, a little bit different material that sets it apart from the regular jerseys. Um, it's it's not like some of the other Christmas jerseys. It, it really stands out. So I, I was definitely impressed. And, and I was also shocked that, like you said, this one showed up. The price was reasonable. Uh, that stuff is locked up in PCs. It's really hard to get that stuff, especially of a superstar. Yeah, especially at this time. And... Yeah, like you said, the stitching is super unique. Like Panini has used the material in other sets without like specifying that's Christmas. And it's very, it stands out very much if you know what you're looking for. Now, I will say I forgot, even though we've talked about that card recently, I forgot about that card. I was thinking your Chris Bosch sneaker card might be oh, your yeah. number one. Oh, that was one of the cards I was considering for my um my third slot. So that's um numbered out of three. That Bosch is an autograph with a big chunk of sneaker on it. And I think you were able to even track down that that was against the Pacers, right? So I believe it was from the Pacers. That is what the, the auction specifies, at least. So he had 13, 13 points in that game. So not, not a monster performance, but very cool to find um, the game that 
they say that's used from at least. So that is uh, yet another plea. If these card companies are buying relics that uh, come with a date on them, if they can verify that it's from that date, put that on the back of the card, just like your Christmas shorts. It specifies this is from a Christmas day game, right? It's those little details that add so much value to that card in the long run. I, I've been preaching. If you want to add value to breaks, we don't want more you know, hits necessarily, but just make the hits that are there more valuable in themselves. It's the little things that matter. All right, Jason, we could talk on and on about heat patches and, and patches in general. So we'll probably have to do another session to get more into that. But we've had a lot of fun today. We've only scratched the surface. We didn't talk about the Pacers heat series. Um, <laughs> we didn't go there. We'll save that for another time. But before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to plug your social media handles and then anything you're working on or anything you might be looking for as well. These next few moments here are yours. My Instagram is, like Kyle said, mheatcards, all one username. I also go by tags on the blowout forum if you know me from there. Um, also the basketball card subreddit, stuff like that. Looking for any Miami Heat unique patch pieces always. Um, Norris Cole, Chris Bosch, Dwayne Wade especially. And I just want to thank Kyle again for having me on. All right, Jason. Well, I appreciate you. And we will make sure. I know this stuff's on your social media already, but maybe you could do a new post this week and we'll show that stuff off for sure. Thanks again. Thanks, Kyle. All right. Well, there you have it. I thought that was a really fun conversation. I want to thank Jason for his time once again. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for the link to my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.